was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a micro was whirring, nor a click from a mouse. Big telly was ready for the men with no hair, joy pans in weight on the arm of the chair. Duncan was nestled all snug in his bed while visions of Commodores danced in his head. Dave finished reading a copy of Zap. He popped on his dust cover and went for a nap. Chris landed his plane on the deck with a clatter. His flight sims fell silent of radio chatter. Neil called time at the door of the cave and made sure his seekers don't rise from their grave. Amstrad's Ataris under moonlight they glow. They dream of the days when they were stars of the show. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but Father Aaron and his eight reindeer. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Visions of vintage video games. Retro computer collecting is retro. Sega thriller, Michael Jackson footage found. All this and more on a very Christmassy This Week in Retro. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, everyone. It is indeed the night before Christmas, and Father Aaron joins us with, well, for those who have video, an almighty hat on his head. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping there are some headphones under there, Aaron. That's not the general size of your head. No man will ever know, Neil. Sometimes I get a little arrogant, you know. I need a big size hat to fit it all in, man. For those who don't know Aaron, and I'm sure many of you do, he is uh, one half of the Amigos Retro Gaming Podcast. In fact, there's more than just two of you because Duncan, who produces this show, is also involved in your show, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. And the Brent. Duncan's done all of our graphics for years and years. So, yeah, Dunk, we've known Dunk for a long time. Nice. Yeah. So if you want another podcast that's as slickly edited as ours, then uh, head over to the Amigos Retro Gaming Forum. Many podcasts that they do, lots of different subjects through the week, are well worth a follow. Are you all ready for Christmas, Aaron? Have you done your shopping? Well, I just finished up uh, over the last few days. Uh, you know, the problem with going Christmas shopping is that I always buy stuff for me because I know what I like and I yeah. like goodies. You know what I mean? And then everyone else is sort of like struggle. And then ultimately I do the same thing every year. I go out and buy me stuff and I get on Amazon and rapidly buy as much crap as I can and have it shipped in the day before Christmas, brother. <laughs> That's the way I always do it, you know? It's the way to do it. Yeah. Well, we'll come on to your week shortly, Aaron, what you've been up to. Um, for me this week, I have decided to take two weeks off. It's the longest break I've had in probably the five years that I've been uh, involved in doing my YouTube videos. So after today, I've got a bit of an admin day and then just decompressing for a couple of weeks. Uh, that's the plan. But you know what Christmas is like. You get pulled from pillar to post to different family houses and, and whatnot. So before, before I know it, it'll be over. But I'm looking forward to relaxing. And I've started off by revisiting some old games, some of these RTX versions of games that have come out. So I've played through Quake 2 RTX. I've played through Portal RTX. Um, if you haven't guessed, I got a new graphics card recently. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying all these <laughs> things out. And um, I'm trying a game now called High on Life. It's very not safe for work. Have you guys seen the trailer for that? No. No, very no, not safe for work in terms of, of the language used. There's, there's good humor. Um 
it's a first-person shooter. The weapons are all um, alive. They've got eyes and a face, and they talk back to you when they're using, using them. So, for example, there's this psychotic knife that just wants to stab everything. Of course, he's Australian. He has an Australian <laughs> accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's got amazing graphics. This thing looks stunning, and it is great fun to play. But um, it did bring a few questions into my head, and and it's a question that could probably take over the entire podcast for the next hour. But it felt very much like... Duke Nukem in its delivery, even though it was a modern, brand new game, it didn't feel like an entirely new game to me. And it got me thinking, is this just kind of a natural side effect of a creative industry maturing? So for example, films can feel like a mix of many films that you've played before them. Songs, you know, live forever. They just get remixed and remade if it's a good song. So have video games now reached that same plateau where it's incredibly hard to stand out as a groundbreaking original game? But that's okay. It's totally okay to feel like a familiar game, even though it's a new game. Dave? It's not really fair you asking that question because none of us have time to answer it. Otherwise, no, I know. The show I know. For the rages. <laughs> <laughs> yes, though. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You, you think so? Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else got any thoughts on that? Yes. I think yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the thing is i didn't want to talk down this game by going oh yeah it's just like duke nukem because it's so much no, there's more. nothing wrong with it doing that nothing wrong with it at all i mean it, it, mm. all, I mean, if you look at oh here i go if you look at um dos gaming in the 90s which i say is the best period of gaming there's ever been you look oh. at the period between kind of i know i know 1992 kind of 1992 and 97 that, that five-year window is amazing there's great games outside of Lots of things just hadn't been done before. They had the opportunity with hard disk, super VGA, sound blaster, digitized sound, the opportunity to do things that hadn't been done before. So they did all sorts of things. And it, you can't then say, well, because it's been done before, you can't do it again. The Simpsons mm. did it before. But then this game really stands out in the, the quality it takes the voice acting yeah. to yeah. and the storyline. So it's got this familiar thread and feeling under it, but a whole new experience on top. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, that, that's just what I was thinking about, but we'll just stop right there because like you say, we could talk about this particular subject forever. Now I'm really worried because I'm looking at the show notes as we come to Aaron and, and there's just a line there that says Christmas in prison, Aaron. <laughs> well, you know, I, I work, I work for the Kentucky state police, if you could believe that. And, uh, I go around to all the prisons and work on their intoxilizers. These are the things that people test to see if someone's drunk. Right. Right. So uh, uh, and it gives me an interesting uh, look at what's happening. I was just in a, a prison last week, and I was thinking about it when I was looking at these notes, And because uh, I come in and out of prison a lot. And these prisoners, uh, of course, it's Christmas in prison. All these guys are in here for a while. And so this particular prison, they build all the floats for the Christmas parade. And so every time I go in there at Christmas time, they've got, and these guys are tremendous. A lot of them are tremendous woodworkers and decorators and painters never seen uh, decorations that were so nice. And they've got a huge garage where they build all this stuff. This same prison has got a greenhouse. They, they uh, grow all sorts of plants and stuff in there. They make their own food. So it's nice to see that these guys can be industrious while they're in the joint. A lot of these suckers are in because they, uh, you know, screwed up. The drug problem is a big deal in Kentucky, you know. Mm -hmm. And so uh, but some of these guys are master carpenters, you know. So I, when, I, when I go by there... Every year, I actually look. It's the one prison I look forward to going to. It's right around Christmas time. The other one's not so much, you know, as you can imagine. Is there any access to video games in this prison? Uh, no, I've never seen anyone. I've never seen any video games in these places at all. 
I mean, I don't know. Maybe somebody has a Game Boy or something in there, but I would, I would be surprised, man, because these yeah. some of these places are pretty rough, man. Yeah, because I've, I've in recent years, I don't know if this is still the case. I've seen people go out of their way to try and collect prison consoles and these are consoles and tvs as well which are transparent in their casing so you can see what's inside them i haven't seen them lately but for a period it seemed like everyone was trying to get hold of these things Uh, are they still a thing in your prison transparent technology no and no. <laughs> I'm not now. It's funny because uh, at Boatfest last year, our buddy Rob O'Hara brought. He has a, a transparent TV, transparent speakers. All he's got a full set of stuff that came out of prisons. So they definitely were a thing. I don't know in Kentucky. Uh, I, there's no TVs in the rooms or anything I ever saw. So you know, I don't think I've ever seen that there. Were those Rob's own prison TV stuff? Oh yeah, he was in the joint. He 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 did a spell in the joint for money laundering. Oh no, he didn't. Of course not. No, they bought those off eBay. I think. Yeah. So, uh, Chris. um, Oh, hang on. Sorry, Aaron. There's another note which says "Hot Rod Santa." (laughs) I love your notes. Christmas in prison. Hot Rod Santa. That's the way we do it, man. No, we have uh, here in Herc, and every year the city springs for Santa Claus to drive all over town. I don't know if does that happen anywhere else. I don't know if it. And so, so Santa is on the back of this flatbed truck, and he he visits every neighborhood in Hurricane, you know. And he came around this year. Me and the boy always go out and uh, check him out as he goes by. And for whatever reason, this year he he's flanked by uh, he's flanked by fire trucks. And he came around <laughs> about eight thirty at night over here, and he went by us so fast. <laughs> I don't know if, if uh, 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 he had another calling somewhere. Maybe he had to get back to the North Pole. But all I saw was just this uh, jingly blur as it drove by in front of us. The kid wasn't too disappointed though, because some candy fell off the back as he as he swung by. <laughs> you know, so maybe he was in a hurry to get out of my neighborhood. I don't know. Yeah, we, we do brilliant. have that over here. Um, <laughs> generally, a local charity will drive a Santa around on the back mm-hmm. of a trailer with uh, a Dave shaking his head. We have it down here. And you, you go out and you toss some money into the buckets as they drive past. But there was a video doing the rounds I saw this morning on social media of, of a UK street that Santa was coming down on a trailer. And the guy in the truck had a loudspeaker and a microphone. And he was just saying, sorry, everyone, we've got clutch problems. And just zooming past, he couldn't slow down. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, Chris, how's your week been? Yeah, good. I, I, I did my homework, Neil. I played Xenon yeah. 2 CDTV version. Oh, yeah. um, I did, on you, a... did you also? Yes, I did. Did you play it on the... You did good. Well, I didn't good, play it on the good. STE. I watched a video of it being played ah, on the yeah. STE. Good enough. So, good enough, so let's enough. let's talk about it playing because I I didn't know you could play some CDTV titles on the CD32. So that was an experience. But what I did find was it would let me get to the shop and then it would crash consistently. And other people have had that issue as well. So I did end up having to use emulation, but it actually blew me away. I mean, seriously, a part of me wants to travel back in time and go to Commodore UK and be the person in charge of getting CDTVs into shops and just say to them, look, I want you to put this thing in the best hi-fi stack you've got, plugged into the best speaker set you've got, and you play nothing but Xenon 2. Because seriously, that would have sold me a CDTV, hearing the CD quality music. The the one gripe I do have, and this is my comparison uh, with the STE is, Dave, I would say the music it sounds exactly the same as the CDTV version. So that is a really big achievement for the STE to do that. But I did still find the game's sound effects on the STE still sounded, how do I put this, Atari, if that makes sense. 
rather than Paula. Yeah, so that's a um, compliment. Yeah, uh, sure, <laughs> sure. If you want to take it that way, it's Christmas, so sure. It's Christmas, um, yeah. But, but, and here's my one gripe, and, and this it sadly lets it down slightly. They've softened some of the sound effects in the CDTV version, and they're too quiet. So now you've got nothing but the music, uh. and you can hardly hear the sound effects, which are still Paula sound effects, but they're not the originals. So it's so close to being the perfect version of Xenon 2. I actually love it. I actually love it. No options to turn the volume down or I up checked. in the in the settings. No, that's I a checked. shame. Um, just on the subject of Xenon 2, there were there were quite a few comments when we were speaking about it about just remembering the context of when we were playing these games. So, mm. for example, 1989 when Xenon 2 came out, even though we sort of complain about it now when we did in the following years, it was pretty mind blown when it came out what it yeah. presented uh, to us. That's um, what matters for it. Yeah. And as you described, though, showing off Xenon 2 on a CDTV, even when the CDTV came out, we would have been looking at it and going, yeah, but that's a few years old, that game. And I think that was part of the problem with the whole approach to the CDTV. Yeah. Was was they're just bringing out games we've already seen before. They added a lot to it, though. I will say, I think I agree. Uh, That was it's a heck of a release. Because they gave it a lot more personality. That alien at the store is involved in a lot more stuff. They give you a, there's a lot more to do in the CDTV version. Mm. So, yeah, it's sort of the same basic game. But, I mean, otherwise, the, the trappings are much nicer. You know, I'm going to give them that. Yeah. We were demanding kids, though, weren't we? We, we, we were demanding new things every day. Um, when was, was it, the what CD- was it, 1992? Chris, okay, uh, around that, yeah, ninety-two, um, and the the the, the, the issue I have is one. Sorry, ninety-one. Ninety-one. Well, there you go. Two years. So yeah. the issue I have is they when the CD TV came out, they were trying to sell it using formation video, which was rubbish. If they sold it, I wouldn't mind somebody showing me the same game I already played on my A five hundred, but saying no. But wait a minute, listen, this is CD quality audio. The, the music tracks are actually playing from the CD, and that leaves all four polar channels open for game sound effects, that would have blown me away. That would have made me buy a CD TV if I had the money, which I didn't, but let's forget that bit of detail, yeah. and and fork out the same pocket money to buy the same games over again because it's that much better. It's, it's, it's amazing, yeah, in my opinion. It's another, it's another topic we could have a big old chat about, especially yeah. with Aaron being here with his uh, Amiga love and experience but uh let's move on because there's so much to cram into today's <laughs> show um you've been on a on a trip this week chris yeah kind of so it was a work outing um but we went to so i will be very brief on this we went to the palace arcade uh, bar in northbridge which i have mentioned before but i'd never been there and that was absolutely great i played pong uh so they had original pong original star wars space invaders street fighter 2 terminator 2 star sega wars. rally and that's just the games I played. This place, two floors, absolutely full of original arcade games, all with you basically top up a card and you tap and, and play. They've still got the original mm-hmm. coin mechs, but they've overridden them with this tap and pay pl- uh, oh, that's process. Close. And the cool thing is it's it's done both jobs well. It's a fantastic bar. But seriously, they haven't paid me to say any of this. This is just my experience <laughs> of popping in there. It's a fantastic bar with nice local brews, you know, your cloudy IPAs, that kind of thing. So you could go there just because you want to drink. But it's also a fantastic retro arcade, so you can go there and just do that, or you can do both. Fantastic pizzas. I really enjoyed it, and I'll definitely be going back. Yep. So are is it real arcade cabs, or have they got the, the kind of modern ones with the LCDs? No, from what I could tell, these were all real. They were definitely um, CRTs. Wow, because that, um, that, that's, that's the... Yeah, if there was any emulation at I, play behind the scenes, I didn't spot it. Um, they, the, yeah, the original Star Wars cab... But... Um, 
it was when yeah. you get to shooting at the towers, something was clearly wrong with the with the vector based screen because you couldn't see one of the colors, whereas the other colors were showing oh. up. So yeah. I think it's original hardware just with these tap and pay things um, overriding yeah. the coin mm-hmm. mech. Yeah. Yeah, because we talk about arcade bars and how difficult it would be to maintain mm. in that environment a proper arcade machine. Mm. Amazing. Dave, my boiler's broken. Is yours. <laughs> Last week, I mocked you, and you deserved it for all the mocking you gave me two years ago with my plowing, plowing problem. So I mocked you last week about your boiler being broken. I said, so I, all I did was I went up and fixed mine. So I did go up and fix mine. Then it broke again. The, basically, a pipe froze, and I could not get this pipe unfrozen. For Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I was climbing up and crawling out in the loft with hot water bottles, trying to defrost this pipe, climbing up a ladder to my roof <laughs> and trying to pour boiling water up a pipe to, to, to defrost it. Eventually, on Thursday, when the house was something like six or seven degrees inside, I eventually cut the pipe and fixed my hot water that and, and my uh, hot water and my and my heating that way by cutting the pipe and giving myself a, a plumbing problem to deal with later. But it shows what I get for for uh, mocking you last week, Neil. Yeah, that's karma. Yeah, well, mine is uh, unsalvageable, and I have a new new boiler and radiators. It's a very expensive Christmas, so that's my present to oh, myself. Man. This year, new boiler, radiator, all the pipe work. We're just going to rip it out and start again. So that's happening on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, hopefully, we'll get it done in time for Christmas. But there's a, there yeah. is there is something that cheered me up this week, something that made my week. We have had not just one housekeeping jingle, but two. We've had two housekeeping jingles. Thank you very much. Um, I, I was joking. With, I thought someone would actually make one, but we actually had two made. And Duncan is going to play the first one, I think, now. Is that right, Neil? It's your favourite part of the show. Is there any housekeeping to be had? And that one came from me and my rhythm box. So thank you for sending that in. The others that have been sent in will be played on on future shows. And we need as many as we can. Just keep keep them coming. If you want to make a housekeeping jingle, <laughs> send them in. The more the merrier. Dave, is there any housekeeping? I hope there is after that. No. No, there is. There is, of course. Um, <laughs> so first of all, we have a two-week break now. We've uh, recharged our batteries, but we will not leave you with nothing. We've got two episodes, probably around 10 or 15 minutes each, coming to you with our outtakes um, for the past year. I think you'll get something from them on audio, but I suspect it might be worth making the time to watch it on YouTube so you can see each other's incompetence in our faces. Um, so there'll be no episode on the 31st of December and none on the 7th of January, but we will be back on the 14th of January. In the meantime, though, don't neglect the subreddit. There's a lot of entertainment to be had there. There's new and interesting things being submitted all the time and discussion on them. There's been some amazing things submitted in the past few days that we won't discuss today. We only picked three stories, but I'd urge you to go and have a click in the links and have a read. There is sad news that PC Mag is closing after 40 years. There's the wonderful last-minute roaring success of the Checkmate Monitor Kickstart. There's a fantastic article about one of my favourite games, Pool of Radiance, which is the first gold box game 
and you'll hear me talking about GoBots games all the time, given given any chance at all. Someone's made an HD remaster of the classic Mario Kart 64. There's an Atari 50th watch with a really nostalgic look to it. Uh, There's a Legend of Zelda first-person 3D uh, story. A hackery story about the Spectrum demo scene. And a couple of stories submitted about the extremely important BBC computer literacy project that we touched on quite recently when we talked about the BBC and the ATX case. And there's probably more than that forgotten and even more by the time this episode airs. So go and have a look at the subreddit. Don't miss out on it. Our first story this week is a visual one, which is exactly what you want from a podcast, isn't it? It's um, <laughs> it's titled 31 Images That Captured the Height of Arcade Culture in the 70s and 80s. And within this story is a really beautiful selection of pictures of people enjoying arcades. Now, one of my biggest regrets, and we have talked about this on the show before, is not having photos of the various systems that I've had over the year to look back on, because... When you've got a roll of 35 millimeter film and you've got 36 exposures on a roll, the last thing you're going to do is use, uh, for most people, is use up one of those expensive pictures on a computer, on a desk or a console. I wish I had now, but at the time, it's not something you think to take a photo of, let alone then the cost of actually developing that photo. But thankfully, some people did, as as I seen beautifully in this article. It delves back as far as the 1930s with stories about pinball and how officials branded them a menace to society and concerns about pinball corrupting the youth, the very same concerns that would transfer over to video games in later years. But outside of that history, there are um, there's just the photo gallery on this article. Even if you don't read the article, flick through the photos because it's a really nice uh, selection of photos. It includes games such as Maneater, which is that arcade cabinet from the mid-70s that's uh, shaped like a shark's mouth. And there's a picture of Steven Spielberg posing next to it. And I don't know if any of you caught the story this week in the news, but Spielberg was in the news this week expressing his regret for any harm to uh, sharks that his Jaws movie may have done over the years. Uh, <laughs> a little bit late for that, maybe. Mm. What's it been, 45 years, 40 <laughs> years? Um, I've been terrified of them my whole life just because of his film. Um, and uh, yeah, they don't have a great reputation, do they? Any of you done shark diving before? I haven't. I know oh, it's no. a popular thing. Heck no. No, not been I'm down no in way. the cage. I didn't want to go in the bath <laughs> for months after watching that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I remember watching Jaws 3D at Butlins on a rear projection television, and we were all sat there with our 3D glasses on. Terrible film. But, um, <laughs> first 3D film I'd ever watched. Um now, in here, there are also some, there are the usual American photos that we we see in other places, I guess, because generally arcade history photos are, I, I don't want to say they're whitewashed by American photos, but you usually see these photos of grand, big arcades in America. And our history is a little bit different in the UK with arcades. So it's nice to see some British photos thrown in there. Some very British ones, such as BBC radio presenter Dave Lee Travis helping to move a Space Invaders cabinet. Um, those are nice to see. Um, but yeah, generally, I remember we did have the arcades here because I lived near a, a seaside town where a lot of them were. But generally, you would find your arcades in chip shops and taxi ranks and video rental stores and places like that. I'm sure you did in the US as well, but that's the, my primary memories are in those kinds of places. And um, on that note, just this morning, I've ordered a book on Amazon called Arcade Britannia by Alan Meads. Uh, it's a new book, came out in October, and it's about the history of video games or arcade games, specifically in the UK. 
So I'm really looking forward to reading that. If you're interested in that kind of history, look up Arcade Britannia on Amazon. Um, also in this gallery are photos of illegal pinball tables being confiscated by the US police. Um, some of those gambling people have probably ended up... That? Sorry? Was it gambling pinball tables? No, what they were? It was I, I, just, just pinball tables. They I were, think they were... They were pinball on, tables were deemed illegal uh, and gambling devices uh, back in the day. And it actually, it's sort of famous. I, I'm sure some of you guys have heard of this, but it, it took a guy going into a courtroom and showing that the pinball machine was a game of skill and not of chance to get these off the gambling charts. Uh, but there were times where they would literally go and trash hundreds of old pinball machines. Yeah. I, I, I just saw the caption that says gambling pinball machine. I thought, is that some kind of high school and it pays out or something? But no, it's not. No, no. And even in Germany, arcades were classified as gambling machines, video arcade machines. Um, so you had to be 18. When, when we were you know, slinking into arcades and watching over people's shoulders because we didn't have the coins in our pockets. Kids in Germany couldn't do that because they had to be over 18. Um, so, yeah. So also in there was photos of Nolan Bushnell promoting Chuck E. Cheese. Do you know, okay, here's my stupid comment of the day. For years and years, I didn't know what Chuck E. Cheese was. I just assumed it was like a macaroni cheese joint. <laughs> 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 Turns out it's a pizza joint, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Dave? Just on the the German arcades, uh, we got a, we got a confirmation from someone uh, on Discord that indeed, if you're in, if you were in a, an armed forces uh, US armed forces base in Germany in the eighties, in an arcade, you'd be using quarters in your arcade machine. So someone actually confirmed that question we had from last week. You know, speaking of the showbiz pizza, Nolan Bushnell, uh, we had a showbiz right near here, about uh, twelve miles from here. When I was a kid, we had all the birthday parties there. Now, they eventually became uh, – a lot of those uh, old pizza places changed to, like, what are called Billy Bob's or uh, other names. But one of the one of the big things with these old places was a robot band. You know, they had, like uh, – it's called the Rocket Fire Explosion, right? We've got uh, just about 12 miles from here. It's the last robot band as far as on Earth. <laughs> They're still around, the Rocket Fire Explosion. And people come from all over the world to see them. You know, and they're actually, they're way better than that, Dave. They're actually quite cool. And I remember I, when, I, I was a, I, when I was a kid, I'd look at these things. I'm like, holy smokes, you got robots, you know, because robots are a big deal. You know what I mean? The thing about- I see that it's The Simpsons. The Simpsons, it's the, that, that's what's done at Dirty, The yeah. Simpsons. Yeah, well, I mean, trust me, there was a time when the robots looked rough, all right? Before they got done, their eyes popping out, and they would, you know, some of that, you know, and it wasn't good, but they've, they've refurbished them. Uh, you always went to showbiz. You went there for the video games, and you went there for the robot band. You never went there for the food. Because <laughs> the pizza was horrible. And the funny thing is, there's a funny story. When I was researching ARG Presents one time on a show we did, they uh, uh, Nolan Bushnell went to, like, he took a vacation. He went to Japan or something. Why he was gone, he had his management changed the pizza to make it better, and it screwed up their all their profit margins. And, it, and that was one of the reasons it went under. They made the pizzas too good because they had to have just the minimal ingredients of these pizzas. So the pizzas were always bad. And I will say that remains to this day because this place has horrible pizza. <laughs> so people were spending not enough on the games because they were then spending more time eating the pizza. Yeah, well, or, they were just, or the pizzas were just the ingredients cost too much for the profit margin. Uh, I get you. I get you. 
Well, there you go. There's a, a huge difference with uh, US and, and UK arcades. I certainly don't remember robotic bands in our arcades. Um, then in the picture with Nolan Bushnell and Chuck E. Cheese, there's also a, a beautiful Key Games Sprint 2 cabinet just on the, on the right-hand side of that photo, which is the very same cabinet Alex is currently re- restoring down in the arcade archive. If you haven't seen his video, he's done an amazing job. Th- this cabinet was painted over with thick black paint, and he's miraculously managed to restore the original artwork from under the paint. So there's a link in the show notes if you want to go and see that. It's a really beautiful reveal moment in that video, and he's got more work to do on that. So, Dave, this article in particular, did it teach you anything you didn't already know? I mean, we've already learned about robotic bands, so we're learning things we didn't know about. Or did it trigger any flashbacks for you? Yeah, well, people were apparently a lot better looking in arcades than I remember, (laughs) uh, at least according to these photos. Um, But as you get towards the end of the photos, they do look a bit more familiar. The arcades that I remember are either my local ones, and I, I don't live in a big town, but there's three. there were three arcades in my hometown. Um, they're not very big. They're dingy. There's smoke everywhere. You couldn't really see the art, the, the artwork on the the cabinets. They were all crammed in. You certainly couldn't see the size of any of them. So the, the most you could see is a marquee at the top, if the bulb was still working, and it wasn't. Um, it, it hadn't faded completely. Um, or the big ones that I saw when we went in a holiday down to Blackpool, we always stayed in St Anne's. So there was always arcade machines, a, a few amount in the the, the hotel. Neil. Mm. Um, just thinking about the looks of these arcades, and and in particular the Sprint Two one, which was painted over black. Yes. Um, one of the theories is now I, I think the origins of this particular Sprint Two arcade are Disney, mm-hmm. and somebody said that in Disney they painted all the side art black for whatever reason. I don't know if that's something you've ever heard, Aaron, over there. Is that? I have. There are places that you have their arcade machines to look basically like a uniform right i don't think there's anything beyond that it's not like there's anything offensive on the side of super sprint 2 or whatever i came across a lot of machines that were painted uh, back when i was really heavy into coin op collecting but most of the time they were stripped they were simply painted because someone they stuck another game in there and just reused the cabinet and getting that paint off i gotta give credit to your guy because getting that paint off is no fun it's Mm. a difficult and disgusting task that i wouldn't wish on anyone else it is. Well, uh, it wouldn't I, surprise I, I me if, if if Disney made that decision. Disney are, are well known for a huge amount of attention to detail in their parks, every yeah. little detail. So if they've decided they want to make them uniform, that would make sense. Yeah. Anyway, Dave. Yeah, the the, the, the I, I won't spoil the video, but they they come up with a method to remove it, and it, it's magic. It's absolute magic. If it, if you didn't see it happening, you'd think he was lying. But the the other, the other arcades that I remember the ones in St Anne's Pier in the 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 traditional uh, British summer holiday pier, uh, which is a, a wooden uh, thing that was out into sea. It's not used for ships. It might have been in the past, but it's just got ice cream, candy floss, and loads a, of arcades. A pleasure on. pier. Yes, and of course in Blackpool, the, the 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 big town next to St Anne's, where there was loads of arcades. It's a while since we've talked about Stranger Things on this podcast, but. I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here and see that what we see in these pictures and coverage of arcades, etc., is through rose-tinted glasses, and it's all just a bit more real than reality ever was. Um, it's all a bit. It's all a bit. Um, the, the the colours turned up a bit. Um, but what I'm looking forward to is a documentary that I backed in Kickstarter called Arcade Dreams. Amiga Bill's involved in it. I think it's due out next year. Although I don't read too many of updates on Kickstarter in general with things I backed. Um, 
especially with everything's going on in the supply chains, I just like to sit and wait and, and uh, try not to, to hang on their every word and wait for it um, anxiously. I just uh, wait and see what comes. Um, but yeah, um, these these photos are great. Go and have a look. Even if it's just the photos, just have a look at them. Read the article as well, but the photos are great. Um, just on the topic of documentaries, I should point out that there was a, a YouTuber called Bastic B. 64k i don't know if you've come across him um has put out part three of his his arcades documentary on youtube it's called arcades the universal language we'll pop a, a link in the show notes um part three alone is over five hours long this is one of those <laughs> long format youtube videos that that are popping up from time to time people certain people seem to be really into these long format videos so if you want uh you know if every part's that's long, you're looking at a 15-hour documentary about arcades, then that's where to find it. Arcades, the universal language. Check the link in the show notes. Aaron, you were there, man. You were there. Yeah, what was it certainly. like? <laughs> well, yeah. It's funny. Dave was talking about how beautiful these people were. I think that's probably the reason you have photos of that pinball machine or arcade machine. They weren't taking pinball machine or arcade machine photos, <laughs> brother. They were taking I think... I think Dave was talking about Dave Lee Travis in particular. <laughs> no, not so much. Although he's got a, he's got a nice name. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was around. You know, it's funny to look back at because arcades changed from when I was a little kid to when I was uh, a middle, you know, 12 or whatever. In the old days, uh, we used to see a lot more mechanical stuff, you know. Uh, 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 fly the helicopter in the dome thing or the, or the uh, marksmanship stuff. And, and then and pinball machines, of course. And as things changed, got a lot more arcade machines. But it was more of a laid-back atmosphere. You really had a, you had two sort of arcades. You sort of had the, uh, the like almost like a camp arcade, like the people in the in the pictures that come in with no shirt and shorts. They were just chilled out. They were playing games. You had that. And then you had more of the seedy, dark, real dark arcade uh, where you would people would come in in suits and stuff. And I mean, that was a thing. That I hear people talk about that, but it's true. I used to go to arcades. And see people come in in suit and tie all the time and play games. Uh, it was a lot of fun back then. Uh, it felt sort of like you were getting away with something when you went to an arcade, mm, you know, because yeah. there was a stigma around arcade games. And that, as a kid, that was awesome because you thought, man, I'm getting into something here. And they also usually had pool tables back there. So you had the pool people mixing with the game people. And they were all sort of the same people back in those days. And then slowly, as the mall started emerging, there was mall arcades. And then in the early 80s, everyone had arcades. The grocery store had an arcade. The drug store had an arcade. The gas station had a little arcade. And then instantly, they were all gone. <laughs> so <laughs> something went south. I noticed that in the uh, pictures, there was a little girl playing a Mr. and Miss Pac-Man pinball machine. I've got one set right there, uh, and it's a good machine. Uh, I love looking at those old machines. They really bring back a lot of memories. And you look at these pictures of all these machines, and you you can pick out two or three, but there are about ten that you have no idea what they are. It mm. just goes to show you the width and breadth of the arcade mm. industry back then because we've got all these legendary games, and there are probably two or three times as many that you'll never see again. Kind of neat. Yeah, there was one game in particular in the photos which I'd never seen before. Two kids playing what looked like some kind of fighting game. It was called like Street something. Um, Street if Fighter you... 2? No, no. <laughs> Wasn't that, Dave? Wasn't that? But um, the graphics looked good on it. It looked like a kind of Final Fight style game. Um, if you click through the gallery, you'll see what I mean. And I'm going to look that game up and, and give it a play. Anyway, uh, Chris, 
What was uh, what? What memories did this invoke for you? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, some of these photos really met with my approval, which Dave and Aaron have already alluded to. Let's be honest, there are some that are. It was clearly promotional photos via a certain gentleman's magazine, which some of you may or may not have read for the oh, articles. Oh yes, I saw those ones. Um, but um, yeah, so you know, if you're curious, go and check out the uh, the links through the subreddit. Um, but the later ones, especially once you get into the color photos, they're closer to you know my memories of arcades. And for me, it was mainly on the south coast of, of Kent, um, where you had in the, Australia, the, <laughs> where you had the bigger arcades that were just jam packed. And those buildings are still there. Some of them actually still have machines in them. I'm not sure exactly what they're wrong, uh, uh, what they're running at the moment. Um, but most Technic of them are, are sadly ah. just. Sh- shut down you know they're just um boarded up <laughs> there was a they're what chris <laughs> they're shut <laughs> shut down boarded up duncan get the amstrad beep out yes get the amstrad beep out there was a yeah slight mispronunciation there um i do apologize um but yeah that, that those are the ones that sort of are close to my actual memories um and you've touched on this at the start of this story neil it is it is quite sad that we don't have photos of you know hanging out at the arcades ourselves and also of our own setups. I mean, the only photos I've managed to find are from the early 2000s, just before we moved to Australia. And, and that really is on the cusp of when digital cameras became more affordable. And that's why I have those images. It's yeah. it's, it's not because I was, it was wasting. essentially free. Yeah, yeah 35 yeah. mil. Or for me, uh, initially, it was, you remember the 110 films, the clicky cameras? Um, but, but it was, you know, every single shot counted and every single shot cost you to develop. So you didn't waste it on taking photos of your Amiga. Um, which is sad. Yeah, the um, the arcade game I was trying to remember the name of. I've just popped up the f- the photos again. It's called Street Smash. Oh. Um, it's in 1990, circa 1990. It says, and there's a there's a Batman symbol on the wall at the back of that picture so it must have that was about the time batman the movie came out wasn't it was that 89 when that came out yeah so uh, yeah street smash i've never never heard of that game never played that game i'll have to look it up but um yeah i mean we'd love to hear your arcade memories so the story is right there posted by dr local on the subreddit thank you for posting that so go and add to the comments on that story and share your memories and um have a flick through the photos and let us know maybe some of you have actually got some old photos out there we'd love to see them so do share those with us um let us know all the links are in the show notes we are sponsored by pixel addict magazine pixel addict is a monthly printed or PDF magazine that you can get if you want to. It covers not just games; it covers the whole, um, the whole retro, uh, the whole retro theme. Um, Chris, you, you have you been reading it? Well, I've not been reading it. My, my news this week, um, Dave, as you know, I got you stuck hold at of the big a, words. Uh, yeah, so I was stuck <laughs> at the big words. I just look at the pictures, Dave, and uh, I read it for the articles. <laughs> anyway, no, look, I, as you know, I managed to pick up one in Perth, which I was surprised to find, and that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But that shop is about a 15-minute drive away. I walked to my local newsagent, same chain, so it's Lucky Charms if you're in Perth. And while they didn't have it or Amiga Addict, they're able to order it in. So basically, it's 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 nostalgia again because now I've got a standing order through a newsagent and I'm waiting for the next issue to arrive. And in the back of my mind every week is, is it there yet? Is it there yet? And they can get Amiga, Amiga Addict in as well. So... Fantastic! Yeah, that's my Superb. news. That that's good. That, yeah. that I've got to is ask, good. Yeah. Um, Aaron, do you know has Pixel Addict or Amiga Addict made it over to your shores? I've not seen it, but I've been told that it has. Now, of course, I'm in West Virginia. I mean, you can go out and buy a stone tablet before you can get something from the UK. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, I have been told that by others that it is in the states. So I, I never miss a, uh, an issue. Of course, 
you know, I've got a lot of buddies that work over there, and uh, they do sterling work on, on the all those uh, magazines. Um, so thank you very much for sponsoring us. Um, uh, the link's in the, the show notes, but you can go to do, uh, www.pixel.addict.media. And um, if you want to take out a subscription, printed or PDF. So before I unwrap this next story, guys, I have a question for all of you. Um, roughly, when did you start collecting old computers? Well, I, I've been into emulators and retro since the late 90s, but it didn't. It took until 2019 when I realized that I was going to buy a house and not live in a flat. I started buying them. And of course, I went wild, as you can see from behind me. I bought all the stuff since then, because before then, I just had nowhere to keep it. And I would never entertain the idea. You know, uh, I always thought collecting retro computers was kind of stupid, I'll be honest with you. And then I started doing it inadvertently. We, when we started doing Amigos, uh, some folks would send us these computers that we didn't have access to, uh, ZX Spectrums and Amstrad and whatnot. And then I kind of got the bug. Because really the only thing I'd saved was my Amiga 1000 because I'm an old PC repair guy. So for me, just when the PC was no good anymore, you just gut it, put a new motherboard in it, you know. And it never in my wildest dreams that I think people would want to save old DOS machines, for example, or old hardware. So it took me a while, but I've built up a pretty decent collection. I've been lucky. People give me stuff all the time. I've gotten a, a, somebody gave me a Coleco Atom. Somebody gave me, you know, said the Amstrad ZX. So we've got a pretty good collection going. The hardest thing is getting them all hooked up and trying to use them. That's a whole different story. But it is fun to collect them, at least. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Neil? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. One of my favorite aspects of Amigos Retro Gaming is that US take on British hardware mm, and yeah. hardware from other parts of the world. But you don't really get that on other US podcasts and channels. So that, that's one of my favorite things. Well worth checking out. And there's, these guys have got a lot of respect for what came out of our country as well. It's not just, what is this piece of crap? You know, <laughs> we had we had our systems. Why would you want this? They do look into it in, in depth and take recommendations from their viewers on what they should try out on the systems as well, which is nice. Um, as far as collecting goes, for me, I would say I was a, a virtual collector in the mid-90s when I started collecting ROMs. I mean, it's a mm. collection of, of sorts, isn't it? And and trying out all the different emulators. Um, and then physically, I would say at the end of the 90s, when I got my first decent paying job, I went out and the first thing I bought was an old arcade cabinet. Uh, and I gutted it and I put MAME in it. Um, and then shortly after, I probably picked up an Amiga 500. But that arcade cabinet was was the first retro piece of hardware I think I collected. And collecting from then on was pretty slow for me because I lived in various one-bedroom flats. I moved around a lot for work. So it wasn't until about 2009 when I finally got a house and had some space that I was able to put things in there. And, and that space filled up pretty quickly with my collection. Yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. And, and for myself, I mean, I only got back into it in the t in the way I am now, um, you know, as 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 uh, you know, uh, late as two thousand eighteen. Um, there are some items I've got, like a Donkey Kong game and watch, I picked up much much earlier. And there's some items I kind of never got rid of, you know. So there's aspect of it as well. Um, but mo for most of us, well, we're kind of dealing with rookie numbers there in terms of the years that we started collecting. So around the time when most of us were thinking about how to offload our old TAT in order to finance upgrades to make our PCs run almost as well as, a, as an Amiga, um, <laughs> one of our listeners was already collecting old computers, right? And this was back in 1994. So listener Reddit user G7VFY, um, AKA Stephen Walters, which is probably easier to say, um, 
of course, he, he couldn't boast about his collection on YouTube to a multitude of, you know, up to 15 people at a time like we can. So <laughs> what's a man to do to get his hobby out there? Well, go on the BBC, of course, and I'm talking about the, you know, the TV station and talk about uh, his, his collecting habit to the entire nation. So this the is segment, in the 90s, is it? This, this is in happened? the 90s. Yeah, mm. in the 90s. So the segment, uh, which we'll link to, uh, I'll link to the actual time code for you, but you can watch the whole thing if you want. Um, it's it's an insert. Uh, we, we won't insert it into the into the show, sorry. Obviously, because of copyright reasons, kind of, you know, the BBC are kind of still around, so that's probably going to be an issue for us. But it's on season one, episode seven of The Net, which is a mid-90s BBC show about computing and gaming. So I'll link to the segment in the notes specifically at around the 13-minute mark um, and discuss the, the irony, uh, sorry, the segment, sorry, discusses the irony of the emergence of digital storage um, coupled with the fragility of digital media um, and the fact that that actually means that we're at risk of being a portion of history that is less preserved than those that went before us because of things like bit, uh, uh, bit rot and stuff like that. It's a topic we've covered many times, the importance of digital preservation. But yeah, Stephen is there on the BBC. He's one of our listeners and he's on the BBC as part of this segment discussing his collection of old computers and software um, and running of the classic computer club. So it's back in the mid-90s and he's running the classic computer club, 1994. They're already discussing how software rots and how storing and maintaining hardware to read the software is also troublesome. Dave? Not the home computer club, which is the one we all subscribed to and had to buy games for a year. <laughs> no, not that, <laughs> not that one. But interestingly enough, okay, his collecting actually didn't start in 1994 when the show aired. I spoke to Stephen on the weekend and we had a massive long chat, um, too much to fit into today's segment. But he told me that it probably all started as early as the mid 80s for him. Um, basically, he saw a Vax mini computer on the verge that had been discarded, and he wanted to save it. Unfortunately, by the time he went back to pick it up, it had gone. Um, and when we say mini computer, we're talking about machines the size of fridges, uh, and he had several of them through his collecting years. Uh, PDP-11s is something he mentioned several times, and probably because he owned four of them, machines the size of fridges, and he owned four of them, um, as well as a PDP-8. Uh, but that's what started the obsession for him, wanting to save machines from landfill. Uh, he recalled there weren't many, sorry, there weren't any museums doing this at the time, as far as, you know, the way he tells it. Obsolete hardware and the accompanying documentation, which took up shelves in itself, by the way, was all just simply being dumped because it was out of date. Neil, were we behind the times? <laughs> were we behind the times? Doesn't make you feel like an amateur, doesn't it, as a collector when you think about how far back he was going and collecting. And these things weren't even really retro when he was collecting them. I mean, you're sure a PDP-11 was, you know, a bit long in the tooth in the mid-80s, but there would probably still have been some banks and some, you know, different supply chain people using them, bakeries or, or well, maybe not bakeries. I'm just saying that because I used to, I used to support a bakery that had an emulated, like mainframe back end in the in the early 2000s. Like the the way the system had been upgraded and upgraded and upgraded over the years, it was essentially still the original 40 year old system, kind of adapted many times and used through a terminal emulator. It was hilarious, but um, <clears throat> some of the things he was buying back then. Wouldn't have been that old. And, um, well, all credit to him for having that foresight because 
were we behind the times is something you can say about anything really when it comes to collecting the the thing is current the thing is out of date and then the thing is considered useless and then suddenly the thing is a piece of history and worth preserving all of a sudden it, it kind of sneaks up on you and if you didn't have the foresight the finances and the space to collect these things as this chap clearly did at the time you you then are paying a premium for it because it's it's popular and everyone wants a piece of it so um yeah, it does make me think back to all of those car boot sales that I used to go to that were just table upon table of cassette tapes, you know, 8-bit micro games mixed in with popular music cassette tapes. Uh, Amiga 500s used to be commonplace on car boot tables that I used to go to, just sat out there. Um, yeah, there was there was all sorts. And if I'd had the foresight, I would have hoovered them up. If I had the money, if I had the, the space and the time, I would have hoovered them up. But until I'm going to call it, the nostalgia hormone kicks in at a certain age. You just sail on past these things. Um, younger listeners, I'm talking to you. If you know, if your parent happens to be listening to this podcast and you're in earshot, take a bit of advice from from some old bald men here today. Buy that boxed PlayStation Three from your mate who only wants a few quid for it. Put it in your loft for twenty years, and then send a postcard to our nursing homes and thank us in twenty years that you've you've still got that in pristine condition. Dave, I think one of our friends in Discord, Mark Central, I think is it him that's talked about putting his kids' toys in storage once his kids kind of fed up with them so that he does have the same toy to take out years and years later so that he doesn't have the same experience that we have where we, we want to want to find their own things, but they've, they've been in a landfill for 30 years. I've done the same and thing. And the box, I guess, everyone wants the box. So I guess if you... It's hard, isn't it? Because you don't want to take away the experience of your kid ripping open a toy excitedly. Going, yes, I got the thing I really wanted. You don't want to be that parent that goes, now, now, let daddy open that for you very carefully we don't want to damage the box you know keep all the little cable ties that hold the wrestler's arms in the box because we're going to put that all back together for you you don't want to be that guy but at the same time oh, i'm going to be that guy aren't i <laughs> <laughs> uh aaron, aaron what can you tell us about the scene stateside you know were people starting to think about preservation this early you know mid 80s well in 94 no i mean i never knew anyone that thought about that stuff back in the day. Now, I knew people that had old machines that just had were shoved in closets and whatnot, but I don't know anyone that was like, I've got to save it. You know, and I knew, I don't know anyone that had refrigerator sized. I watched this video. I was thinking to myself, where's this guy live? Because those <laughs> things aren't just huge. They're heavy. I mean, that's go, go to the floor heavy. You know, uh, it's really, you know, when I look back, I can only look at myself and I didn't think about preserving anything. I looked at computers in two different ways. Stuff like C64s and Amigas, I kept around because they were more like commodities almost. As a, a PCs that you could actually gut and reuse the stuff, I would kind of keep those around just to reuse the case and the power supply. So I've never thought about keeping them or anything. And a lot of times, for me, computers were... That was the ticket to getting the next better computer. You had to sell that one to get the money to move up the line. You know what I mean? You couldn't just hold on to stuff. Plus, where are you going to put it? Uh, I don't know anyone that were keeping these around just in case, you know, for history or whatever. I mean, how do you know? I guess everything has historical significance, but it's hard. I mean, there are a million, billion different types of computers. You can't keep them all around. It's just the way it is. So I guess you have to pick and choose. Uh, I will say, uh, uh, me and my brother do a show called ARG Presents where we look at, we've looked at old kit computers and stuff like the NASCOM or the Ohio Scientific Challenger. And when we did those shows, I learned a lot about them. And 
and the fact that there are, every computer is unique. The people that put these kits together had to make their own cases. They had to, they would make their own sound boards. I mean, it was truly an engineering feat to get these things to do what you wanted. And I've talked to people that own these things and they look back on them real fondly because they actually, they're all unique. That's a computer I can absolutely see keeping around and holding on to. I mean, people would carve the cases out of wood and stuff, you know, I mean, really wild stuff. Uh, I don't think we could protect everything. It's nice that people are trying, but I mean, I think for your average person, we can hoard a, a whole room of ZX Spectrums or C64s or Atari STs, but I mean, we're not going to be going out and getting real-to-real stuff like you'd see in, the, in a 60s sci-fi movie. It's not going to happen. Dave, what about yourself? What are your thoughts? I'd like to say that my motives in what I collect are about preservation, but it's not true. The truth is it's all about me. I'm greedy. I want the best stuff for me. Um, I do agree with Aaron about chuck it in the bin and move on. And that was me all the time. That was that was me. And it, even when I was already into retro in the late 90s, when I was using stuff like multi-gauntlet emulator and then MAME and so on, I was definitely into retro at that point. And I still had my box PC games. But at some point afterwards, they went in the bin. I don't think I chucked them out. I think my parents said, do you want these old things? And I was like, nah, just bin them. So it, 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 they did go in the bin. Neil? Even the guy that I bought that arcade machine off of that I told you about, it only cost me £50 to buy this arcade machine. He had a garage full of them just rotting away. He didn't wow. have any, you know, he, he he was amazed that anyone was interested in buying the thing. You know, that's how unloved they were. And it, they were an inconvenience to him filling up his garage and he just wanted to make the space and get rid of them at the time. Yeah, Aaron? You know, there was a time where I had a project, you know, I'm a big coin-op collector. And I look at sort of like coin-ops are a lot like, uh, you know, classic video games and classic computer hardware. You've got so many pinball machines of a certain type and so many Street Fighter twos that were made. And so there's a big collector uh, thing going on there. But the flip side of it is I remember I, I started getting into jukeboxes and I had this big jukebox and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it. It played, it had like, I don't know, 145s in it. And I looked down, and I had an MP3 player the size of this remote control that played 10,000 songs and with crystal clarity. And I just looked at this huge monstrosity. I'm just like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. And there's a, there's a fine line between avid collector and preservationist and madman. And I think you yeah. have to cross <laughs> that line at some point if you're going to be a hardcore preservationist, which I am not. And, and I had to get rid of that thing. Huge, bulky, heavy, hard to move. I just couldn't do it. I had to draw the line. Yeah. And I think it's important to look at these things in context, not just in isolation. Um, when we're talking about old machines, and that's what separates good documentary com uh, content from um, the one that, that we've seen. We've all seen the YouTube videos, which just look like regurgitated Wikipedia rubbish. Um, you need to know the impact it had on people's lives when they were able to play these games or build the computer from a kit or join up with other people and play games together. Um, it, it's not important just to hear that it used a Z80 and a Ferranti ULA and a custom version for basic and CPM. You need to know this stuff, but you need to go deeper and talk about why that matters and what change it had for people. We've touched on, we've touched on quite a few reasons. There were reasons they were talked about, about kit computers. We've talked about joining together with your friends in arcades. Um, in previous episodes, we've talked about uh, online gaming. I've talked about MUDs. We've talked about um, first-person um, shooters. 
Chris talked about uh, that kind of thing, land parties, all the rest of it. That all matters in context with the with the preservation. So it can be a bit dry just to have a list of um, of things, but you also need deeper stuff in the context as well but i think the good news for preservation is since that bbc show aired in 1994 we now have places like archive.org and vogons and other sorts of places and it feels that the information won't expire when a cd sheds its layers or a disc corrupting it's going to be there forever i think no that's true well, Stephen's an interesting chap with lots to say and many war stories. Um, he's worked, he worked for MicroAge, and he said that they were actually involved in making some of the PCBs. This is how he tells the story uh, for the BBC Micros back in the day, and hence their shop would get the stock of machines before anyone else. And he recalls the net result of that was they would literally have lines of people snaking out of the store and around the corner just like you know, you'd know you see around an Apple store on the release of the latest iPhone or whatever these days, this was to buy a BBC Micro in London, you know, and, and it was those similar scenes with, with no, un, you know, no, no artificially created hype. This was literally people just wanting a BBC Micro before anybody else, which is, which is crazy. Um, there are various computer clubs that he was involved with back in the 80s and online forums in the 90s, and that's where he thinks the BBC TV channel got wind of him uh, for the snippet that we've talked about today. Stephen has also posted a list of computers in the subreddit that he feels are falling into a lost history. And I'll include the link to that in the show notes as well, because perhaps some, you know, existing or budding YouTubers and commentators with an insight into these machines can be part of ensuring that they're actually not forgotten. It's an interesting list that he's got there. Um, some that I've heard of, many that I haven't, um, and that, that's why they're in uh, that they're at risk of disappearing and being forgotten about because I've not heard of the new Bear seventy seven sixty eight, for example. But he does end the list by saying, and many many others. Most of these were not games machines, but deserve to be remembered. And um, it's a difficult thing because when you're sharing these systems on YouTube, games are. The, the most convenient visual way of showing off the capabilities of a machine. Uh, so it's very easy to just talk about the games and it requires a lot more research and, and work to demonstrate machines in a different way. For example, learning a, a programming language to show off what it's capable of or, you know, uh, productivity applications that you have to actually understand before you can demonstrate. So um, he makes a good point there. And perhaps that's why some of these things are covered less because they take uh, a much greater investment in time to be able to properly demonstrate and tell that story. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And the fact that, like you say, you don't know the machines. I certainly didn't know them in the list. And then that highlights the point, you know, there is, they're in danger of being forgotten. So I would like to say to Stephen, you know, thank you so much for sharing this uh, little 30 seconds of fame on the BBC, but especially for your time on the weekend and the chat, you know, maybe other YouTube channels that like to have people on for interviews, maybe touch base with Stephen and see what you can tee up. Um, but this truly is retro inception. You know, it's great to see things like the ZX80, Stephen's first ever computer, clearly in shot in this BBC snippet in the mid 90s. It's possibly one of the very uh, first on screen examples of this crazy hobby that we find ourselves in. And it was on national television. So I think let's stop calling it collecting. It is preservation. And whether you're an individual collecting because they're the machines that you grew up with, you know, that's still part of it. Or if you're running a hands-on exhibition or a museum, we're all part of it. Sega Thriller, Michael Jackson, tape found. It's no secret that the king of pop, Michael Jackson, loved video games. 
pinball, arcades, consoles, you can easily find pictures of him enjoying the hobby. And this week, Dr. Local has submitted a story of a cancelled Sega, um, as it's pronounced correctly, and Jackson tie-in scramble training. It's a 1992 game with Michael Jackson starring as Commander Jackson. That's not Commander Jameson, but Commander Jackson. Um, I'd love an elite-based film based on the Dark Wheel novel, uh, if anyone's uh, interested. But there Commander was, Dave, Jackson, there was, was a there? Commander Michael Jackson in the British Army. Do you remember him? Commander Michael Jackson. He used to appear on BBC News, uh, I think, well, during the Iraq War, I think he used to pop up a lot. And it always made me laugh because Commander Michael Jackson was on my day. He went by the name of Mike Jackson, but, you know, you made the connection. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Um, uh, but the game was meant to be... <laughs> I'm just imagining me seeing him coming up in the news. I would be exactly the same. I can't help myself with the things like that. Um, I had a customer whose name was uh, Michael J. Fox. And really? I, I had to ask, yeah, I had to ask him about it as well. And he was he was of an age that it might have been when Michael J. Fox was just starting to become famous. He might have been named after him. Uh, I'm not sure. I had, um, I I had, had to ask. Um, I was so both, tired of people asking as well. <laughs> I, I had both a Michael Jackson and a James Brown on my on the same street where I grew up. Yeah. Um, I, I can do others if you want. Do you want to know the there worst a, one? The worst one. Oh, go on, go on. Go on. I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, but there was a lad who lived around the corner from me. He was he was quite a bit younger. He's in my sister's year, uh, and his name was Hugh Cumber. Oh no! <laughs> I'm not making it up. Oh no! Hugh Cumber. <laughs> I did have a police trainer who lived in Letsby Avenue. <laughs> No, come on, you're making that up. You're... Yeah, let, let's be L-E-T-S-B-Y Avenue. And That's he, true. He, I, it's true. <laughs> I think I think when I made a comment about it, I think he was so sick of people saying it that he pretended not to know what I meant. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway. I, I, I can do, I do one more for you, which again more, is, on, is on, true. When I was a young This is man. one of your favorite things, Neil. This is the kind it of thing is, that and this is really my likes. favorite. My favorite name is when the, the the American boss came over to the company I was working for. I wasn't <laughs> expecting him. You know this one, don't you, Dave? I think he yeah. came in and he shook my hand, and uh, he was introduced to me. His name was Randy Neighbors, and <laughs> I was <laughs> I was a nineteen year old, and I was just I don't know how I held it in. <laughs> Oh dear! So How do Americans call each other Randy? Mm. Oh yeah, Randy neighbors. <laughs> does the word even mean? Does Randy mean what it means here in America as well? They just call each other that, and you don't. You don't. Uh, that's you a real name. It doesn't, doesn't mean it. No, it does. I mean, we. I yeah. know what it means, but no, there's tons of Randys here. Tons of them. <laughs> I, I, know, I know Randy. I I I know. I'm not going to say who it is because he's he doesn't let his real name out. But I know someone's called Randy. Yeah, there's, there's, that's a normal name here. That's not. That's totally normal here. I was planning a holiday to America in a few years. Now that I know that there's lots of Randys over there, I might, you know, yeah, definitely come over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, so, Dave. Back to the story. Michael Jackson. The game was meant to be a laser disc game <laughs> with Michael Jackson in the, the FMV sequences, uh, heavily leaning on him to promote it. Uh, the Metro article submitted describes it as a sort of on-rail shooter and a theme park ride with Michael Jackson as the narrator. 
Now, I'm not going to go into his troubled life, but around 1993 is when things started to go off the rails for Jackson, and Sega released the game without any reference to him in it, so they deleted him completely from the game. And it's only archive footage of um, people videoing the, the the FMV sequences and so on that show that he, he was anything to do with it. Um, the game itself doesn't seem to have made much of an impact in the world. Uh, we talked earlier on about arcade games that, are, that aren't very famous. This seems to be one of them. It's the only reason I could find anyone talking about it is the Michael Jackson connection, which was then deleted from it. Um, so ropey footage of it has been always been around, but in the summer, someone told, sold a tape, a British car boot sale, in a D2 digital tape. And yeah, I had to look that up, but it looks like a, a, a VHS tape slightly. It's a digital tape. And for anyone who's not familiar with the UK, a car boot sale is an event where loads of people turn up at a car park with stuff they want to sell. Usually they've got a folding table and they put it all in there and the public browses around and tries to get bargains and haggle. There's loads of people who do it semi-professional as well. So if you go to a car boot sale, probably half or more of the people there will be people that do car boot sales every weekend. They'll buy stuff cheap on eBay and so on with the hope of selling it on. Um, I've watched the footage on YouTube and to be blunt, I don't think there's anything good in the footage except it's Michael Jackson. It's obviously Michael Jackson, and you can hear and see it's Michael Jackson. There's none of his usual style and sparkle there. There's no shamone and all the rest of it. doesn't happen. He's just reading lines out. Uh, but I expect that's what they wanted. They just wanted his name on it uh, until all of a sudden they didn't want his name on it. Now, as for celebrity tie-ins, Michael Jackson may be one of the biggest, uh, things like Moonwalker and so on, but he's not alone. Neil, can you think of any celebrity, celebrity tie-ins that improve games, or do you think it's all just there to help marketing? Oh, um, I can think of lots, but when you throw in improve games, that makes it a lot more difficult. Um, the one that springs to mind, just because I was reading Sid Meier's um, autobiography recently, was uh, Larry Bird and Dr. J on, on one of the basketball games, and then later Magic Johnson's basketball game. And I didn't follow basketball as most of us in the UK didn't. But, you know, people like Johnson and then later Michael Jordan, they transcended the sport. They were they were lending their names um, to everything from shoes to video games. And, and they were no doubt helping the product sales. The games themselves, probably not. I can't imagine they had a huge amount of input into them, really. Um, but I've got to ask you, and I think it's got to be a yes from Aaron, I'm sure. Have you ever seen the clip of Brett the Hitman Hart going to Midway Studios to help them make a video game? Yes, and, uh, it. <laughs> it violently goes, helps them. <laughs> it violently helps them, yeah. yeah. Um, and he goes around the studio talking of, you know, talking about how he's he's learned all about making video games and how he's going to teach them how to do it. He sits down with the programmers and tells them off for referencing null pointers and, and, and all sorts. So, I think they well hired him at EA. Reese. I think he's that's that's it seems like from what i've heard at crunch time they bring in bret hart to yell at the programmers <laughs> it makes sense i think he missed his calling <laughs> it's brilliant um i put a link in the show notes for duncan to put it, uh put there uh for you to go and watch that video well worth a watch if we're looking for uk specific examples uh, i would point to jeff cape strongman had that on the amstrad do you remember that that was a bit like track and field but much more of a stamina based game cool that took it out of you that game jimmy white snooker Nigel Mansell, he had some yeah. games. Yeah, Nigel Mansell had his face on the Logic Three steering wheel as well on, on the peripherals. Sorry to interrupt, but can, can Aaron? Can you see the name of that game that you thought you said was very good? Jimmy White Snooker. Yes, <laughs> Snooker. I've heard a few people comment on that. <laughs> 
Um, we had we had video game adaptations of the game shows of the day. So we had Bob Holness on Blockbusters. Um, we even had a Frankie Goes to Hollywood game, uh, and that was tied to Ocean, who were one of the first to really push licensing over here in the UK and tie in everything that they could to increase their sales. Um, I can't, though, think of really a single example of where a celebrity has helped to shape a game itself to make it a better game. One that I remember them saying... Um, a lot about was Ayrton Senna, the late Ayrton Senna's involvement in Super Monaco GP for Sega. They, they would show video clips of him sitting down and playing the game and how he'd helped to improve the game. I struggle to believe it's anything more than marketing, to be honest. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, Aaron, I, I know you like your wrestling. Does there any wrestling celebrity tie-ins featuring your games? There's a few. I want to mention that you, you, you forgot my favorite, Jockey Wilson, man. I love oh, him. Oh, yeah, Jockey Wilson playing <laughs> darts. Yeah. We got into, me and Bo got into darts heavily when we covered that game, and that was Great so much darts. fun. And the pub games and stuff, we don't have that stuff here, and it was so awesome. The 70s were great in the early 80s. Uh, when it comes to wrestling, most of the time, the uh, tie-ins were from the promotions themselves and not individual wrestlers. There's really only a couple of times where an individual wrestler sort of headlined the game. There's a guy called Anita who was in this really violent promotion, FMW, that was on a Super Famicom game we covered a couple months ago. Uh, and there's a, there's a lady wrestler called Cutie Suzuki. She headlined the game, but uh, for the most part, it's just Japanese, yeah. Uh, and, uh, the, of course, the Hulkster had a really bad Kinect uh, game on the 360. You know, Hulk is sort of synonymous with really bad, you know, and that was just another example of him. He'll sign anything uh, when it comes to that. Um, there are tons of, if when you look at the, the Michael Jackson footage, which I watched this kind of boring footage, I had to laugh, Dave, when you said there was no sparkle there. I mean, he's a, he's a flight instructor. What's he going to do? He's not going to shim on and jump up and grab his crotch while you're, you know, yeah, fighting. <laughs> I know. I, I, maybe that's why there's none there, but you think Michael Jackson, you think, oh, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Because he, 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 he took pop music to another level with the, the things he did, and, and, and he's taken. Um, FMV sequences down to new depths with us. Well, I mean, listen, if, you, if you've watched any FMV stuff, there were tons of big Hollywood stars that got involved in FMV, but they were there usually playing characters, just like Michael Jackson was. Uh, Night Trap with Data Plato, Christopher Walken uh, in Ripper, which was a really bad... You, you love those old DOS games. I'm sure you played that one. Uh, David Bowie and Omicron. They weren't, I mean, he didn't come out and say, it's David Bowie. And he came out and started singing real, you know, Young American. He was, the, uh, you know, I mean, that probably would have sold he did, better. He, he, he did the music for the game, though. Right, but he didn't say it was David Bowie in the game. No, no, whereas Michael Jackson did. And so there you go. But yeah, I, uh, uh, you know, it's funny because Michael Jackson, this wasn't his first foray into games, obviously. He did uh, an arcade game called Moonwalker and uh you know, we we own this game. Me and my brother collected a lot of PCBs when you could get them cheap. And uh, Michael Jackson got super popular, obviously. And this game, I sold this game to a guy in Japan for huge money. It was the biggest sale I ever had of anything that was video game related. So I mean, there's and this was well after things went south for Michael Jackson. So clearly, still a he was still a big player. But I mean, I wouldn't even that game is really weird and goofy. It's funny how weirdness and goofiness surrounds Michael Jackson in every endeavor he does, you know? So this is really the most straight he ever played anything I ever saw him do. Can you remember how much you sold that Moonwalker PCB for? It was over 600 bucks, uh, 600 yeah. US dollars. Now, again, nowadays, that's not a big number, but back when we sold it, that was a huge number because I think we paid like 
35 bucks for the board, you know, something real mm. cheap. So we did real well on that one. I wonder if there's any FPS or flight sims, Chris. <laughs> well, funnily enough, <laughs> Chris, you get the up there. They're trying to put me off with sound effects again. Um, I actually expected Neil would have mentioned this first one, which is, you know, Mark Hamill, obviously, in Wing Commander. I'm surprised yeah. nobody's mentioned mm-hmm. it. It's a big standout one. But I wasn't expecting anybody to steal my second one, which was Chuck Yeager. Oh, actually, you didn't. Sorry. In the notes, Aaron was going to mention Chuck Yeager, but um, I don't think you did, did you, Aaron? You, you skipped it. No, so that was of course very good not. Of you. That'd be yeah, but let, let's discuss that because you you clearly have um, you clearly have more insight into who Chuck Yeager was. So, do you want to tell us? Because all well, I would be doing is regurgitating Wikipedia, Dave. So, Aaron, <laughs> give us the insight into Chuck Yeager. Chuck Yeager it was is a big deal. He's from West Virginia, which is where I'm at. Our uh, the biggest airport in the states named after him, Yeager Airport. Don't ever, I mean, try not to fly in and out of there if you can, because it's on top of a mountain. Uh, because, you know, Chuck Yeager was like a test pilot, uh, and uh, he was the first uh, He was the first pilot that ever exceeded the, the sound barrier, whatever. He's, he's a, he was a big-time player, and he's super famous here. I, I, is, do you guys even know who he is, aside from his game? Did you ever hear of him? Yeah, I know of him from, I probably heard about him first because I used to play a game called Birds of Prey. And in Birds of Prey, you you could fly the X-1, which was essentially a rocket with a person in it that was dropped from a a plane. And that's what he flew when he broke the sound barrier. He basically sat in a rocket. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, so his his games were uh, Advanced Flight Simulator Training uh, by EA and Chuck Yeager's Air Combat. Uh, I believe those are the the, the main two. Um, but funnily enough, you know, what I've raised, you know, the fact that I didn't actually know who he was until I, you know, looked him up on Wikipedia. I remember those titles, and this is where I think it does work: putting a name on a box. Even if you don't know who that person is, you suddenly start to think it has credence automatically. You know, I don't know who Chuck Yeager is, but he must be, clearly he's somebody big in aviation. Therefore, this game must Mm. be good. Neil? I don't know who Ivan Iron Man is, Ivan Iron Man Stewart, (laughs) but he must be a really good racing driver (laughs) off-road. That's a good point. Yeah, Exactly. It kind kind of works. It didn't work enough on me because I I have to say I didn't actually fall for it. I didn't buy either of those those games and I'm yet to play them uh, to this day. So, yeah. Do you, want a, do you want a fun fact about Chuck Yeager's Advanced Flight Simulator? Go on then. They, they renamed it after the initial run from Advanced Flight Simulator because Microsoft threatened to sue them for using the words Flight Simulator in the oh, title. Dear. So that's why it got renamed. That kind of thing happens even, even to this day. <laughs> no Man's Sky getting taken to court because of the use of the word sky. You know, it, it's insane. But that's a whole other topic. Um, yeah, so, you know, the only one that actually sprang to mind for me, other than those, were Moonwalker, which we've all mentioned. Funnily enough, I, I never actually played it because I wasn't into Michael Jackson, and playing a game about a dancer didn't really appeal, appeal to me. But what I do remember about that cabinet was it was always crowded. There was always somebody playing it, and there was always a crowd of people watching them play it. So it was a very popular it's game. A good, it, it really is a good game. It's fine. Um, yeah. I, I should I, try it. I should try I would, it. Like you, you would expect it to be rotten. You'd expect it to just be a celebrity name slapped in a mediocre game, but it's mm. not. It's really good. Mm. Um, there is one tie-in for CPC that I did like, and it is not super grand. <laughs> it is, it is super grand. Is a is a it was a a tongue-in-cheek, um, deliberately bad TV program we used to have in the the late eighties, I think. Um, the game I'm talking about is Bruce Lee, which I love Bruce Lee in the CPC. It's a great game, even though I'm not really that into martial arts. 
Yeah, that's a great game. I, I love that. We used to play on the Atari. I'm a big fan of Bruce Lee from back in the day. So that was yeah. one of the early games. I was like, man, I got to get on that. I think that was one of the first uh, licensed titles, as I recall. I mean, it, it was a pretty early title. I think Data, Datasoft put that out uh, back in the day. Uh, the only other one, I, I, when I was looking over the notes here, and you were talking about the fluctuators, the only thing that came close, uh, do you guys know who Buzz Aldrin is? Is he famous over oh, there? No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. I mean, yes. you never know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, We've got the moon heal as well. He had a uh, he had, he had a uh, a game. I remember playing this back in the day, and I was I didn't play it long, but it was called Buzz Aldrin's Race in the Space, where you try to beat yep. the you can be the Russians or the Americans, and you try to build a space program up. It's a strategy game, you know. Again, I don't know how much Buzz Aldrin over here. He's as famous for punching that guy in the face uh, out <laughs> yes. as he is yeah. going to the moon. Fake moon landings. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I have a I have a signed book by him. I didn't get to meet him, but when he was doing a tour over here, a friend of mine got him to sign his his latest book. Um, so yeah, I'm quite proud of that. Um, very was that famous David over here. No, it wasn't a David Ike book. <laughs> um, and um, oh, you've thrown me there. What was I going to say? Buzz Aldrin. Oh, the race into space. That was like one of the first generation of PC multimedia titles. It was you know showing off video clips and things like that. That was a great one. But um, with regards to these Michael Jackson clips, just uh, unless I missed it there, Dave, are they actually going to be used, remastered, repurposed for anything, or is is that? Nah, that's no, they've just, just been they found, just and that's it. Yeah, they, they just exist, but they've now been found in in, in a really high quality um, format that you can watch on, on YouTube. And I would suggest that people watch it for maybe um, fifteen or twenty seconds, thirty seconds, no more, because there's there's really not much in them. It's just, it, in fact, it maybe epitomises the problem with FMV games. They had this new technology. What did they do with it? Well, let's just use it. Let's just phone it in and see what happens. Um, and that's what this to me looks like. Time now for our community question of the week, and it's a very festive one because last week we teased you with our packages, and today it's time to reveal our packages. So um, who should we start with? Dave, let's just have a reminder. No, because you weren't pre-recorded. We can't have a reminder of last week. You've got the package right there, haven't you? So let's just hear your yeah. clue again because I think I think I've got a pretty good idea as to what it is, but no spoilers. And it's not in the notes, so, by the way, for people listening. We don't know what each other's packages are. So. so this is, I said it's the same size as a double cassette box, which obviously means it's a double cassette box. And I said it was part two of a game that I got when I was a kid and that I've talked about on the show before. I didn't get part two. So this is, this is a game that I didn't get as a kid. It's a sequel to it. And I said it's something that exists outside of the gaming world in a big way. So, Aaron, would you like to take a guess at it? I don't know if you'll get it or not. Would you like to take a guess at it? I've got not a clue, Dave, what you've got there. No idea. Fair enough, fair enough. Someone did get it completely right. Uh, someone got uh, DJ Chris Fury got it right. Can we guess? And, we um, oh, okay. So did Genera Gen Generation Picture wasn't quite exact on it, but I think he gets the points for it. So let me unwrap it. Can I guess? Neil, Can we what's guess? Your guess? Can we, uh, Neil, my what's your guess? guess? Is Fellowship of the Ring. Ooh. Close. Oh. Close enough. Close enough, I think. Chris, do you want to do did you have a guess? Well, I've just looked at the Reddit and you've just said who got it right. So that's cheating. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so Fellowship of the Ring was uh, was the no, there's a the wrong answer. It's actually the sequel to that, and it is Shadows of Mordor, ah. which is Lord of the Rings game two nice. so i go I, I explained it as a kid 
the, one of the first games I got in the home computer club was Lord of the Rings on Amstrad Disc. It's a text adventure with rudimentary graphics. I loved it. I played it so much. It, it was great. And this, I didn't know this existed at the time, but this is Shadows of Mordor game two. So that was what I would have loved to have got as a kid for myself. There no. was a Fellowship of the Ring game, wasn't there? I haven't just made that oh, up. Oh, yes, and that's the first one. So that's <clears> oh, the, that's the first one. one if, okay. I, if I get it off my, my shelf here, uh, it's the one that's got the the fading, uh, the fading box. It's got the novel inside it. It's like a video box, and the box is falling apart, and it's got the, the game on there. There's also a, a much slimmer one with the, the, the version I got, which is on disc. Okay, so I got my Lord of the Rings in the wrong order. Chris, how about you? Well, let, let, let's reveal your package. Yeah, well, mine's quite an interesting <laughs> one. So just to um, remind the listeners especially that my clue was, my main clue was a quote from the movie Total Recall, baby, you make me wish I had three hands. Um, and a few people in the subreddit have had a close stab. There's lots of, Ooh, lots of guesses around controllers. Um, yeah, and in the yeah. YouTube comments as well, there's lots of guesses around controllers. Nobody, from what I can see, hit the nail on the head. So, Aaron, first of all, because you're new to the game, any guesses on what this could be? Uh, again, I've got no idea. I'm completely at a loss. <laughs> Neil, what's your guess? I'm going to go with a Jag controller because you need three hands to use that properly. <laughs> oh, you guys. That, you're... That, that was also my guess. That was your guess? Right, I'm going to unwrap it. Is actually. I hope it's not what you what we saw in total. Oh, oh it's an N sixty four controller because you need three hands. Yeah, <laughs> for yeah, one of those. Yeah, you and it's obvious if you can see it. Need Des- describe hands. it to describe to people what the N sixty four controller looks like. It's the worst controller ever designed. Just picture that in your head, and that's what you've got. You've got you've got two handles on each either side, and one places your thumb conveniently for the D pad uh, and the shoulder button on the left. The other one, you've got a selection of yellow buttons in a cross configuration and access to the two fire buttons, the A and B buttons, and another shoulder button. So your your hands are already occupied. But then in the middle, you've got a thumbstick, and on the back side of that, you've even got a trigger. So, so you need three hands. Hand. You, you literally need three hands to use it's it effectively. It's shaped like a grappling hook. And, it it's, and the little yellow buttons are, oh, why did they make those so tiny and horrible? It's a, it's a I, horrible controller. The analog's horrible on it. Just horrible. You know, the weird thing is it took me forever to get the N64 control because there was a few uh, options you could pick in GoldenEye. And I, and I managed to, you know, sort of tweak it and mess about with it until I got it where I really wanted it so you could circle strafe and all that kind of thing. And now that I've got one again, I've had it for quite a while and I've got GoldenEye as well. I can't remember how I freaking set this thing up. That's the only reason Neil beat me in Goldeneye, by the way, when I visited <laughs> the cave. So uh, on to Neil. <laughs> do you not? Did you ever um, try and do it with two controllers? Because you could play Goldeneye with a controller in each hand on the N64. Oh, oh can you? I didn't know that. Yeah, give uh, that a go. I might have to give that okay. a go. Oh, so I see what you do. So you still... You're, the, the person you're playing against, you're still their controller and therefore you win. <laughs> I like your thinking. <laughs> So um, we're going to have to cut away to my pre-recorded video for Duncan. Here is my package. And you'll remember that when you give my package a shake, it makes this noise. I think mine's probably the easiest of all for people to guess. Uh, Aaron, do you want to take a guess at what that package is? Oh, that sounds, like, yourself. It sounds like you got a copy of Xenon 2. Oh, yes. There it is. Nailed it. It's Colin in the shop. 
on Xenon 2 or Xenon 2, as you can see me unwrapping on the screen. Hopefully, Duncan's put that footage in there. Thank you, Duncan. And I hope you've got a sherry on the go, Duncan, as well for Christmas. Um, so those are our packages. And that leads us on now to, um, well, do we have anything to read out um, as a result? Because normally we read out the answers. Yeah, so I mean, there's a few good out? guesses. So yeah, Frosty on, Cheesecake 954 guessed. He said it's a, it's a tricky question. Um, they've all got hair jail. All got hair jail. <laughs> That's what he thought. <laughs> <laughs> we all had. Um, Dave, are you in the subreddit? Do you want to go for And that was the most upvoted yeah. as well, that so is... thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Gen- Generation Pixel. Um I wonder if he got. I wonder if he knew what he was saying when he said Neil's package needs put down. <laughs> uh, I wonder if he was referring to Rose Tinted Spectrum's recent brutal attack on Xenon Two. Uh, uh, he said Chrissy's package is a jag pad. I, I think a jag pad's not far off it. Yeah. Um, Richard Shear says he's hoping mine is un- Ultimate Underworld Two. Richard, I, I played Ultimate Underworld Two as a kid. I loved it. Um, Neil's will be a new boiler, says Richard. (laughs) (laughs) I wish, I wish. Uh, DJ Chris Fury had a guess at a controller for a GameCube, so you did throw people with your controller. Mm. Uh, But Chris, Chris got the other two correct, mine and Dave. Yeah, so he's 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 almost spot on. He said Lord of the Rings Part Two, which is exactly what it was. He said Xenon Two, which is right, and he said a controller for a GameCube. I mean, that's as close as you can get without being wrong, without being right. But it's still (laughs) wrong. Um, Ash Tuville went for Ultima Two. An N64 controller, so he got that right. And a speak and spell for me. He's not even remotely close with that. That'd be a very broken speak and spell. I, I did also um, so, like the uh, the comment from, which is actually Stephen that's put that up. He said, watching this, I would say they got nothing. And he's put a link to the uh, YouTube video, which I checked out earlier, and it's about the postal strikes in the UK. He's basically saying, <laughs> they can't have anything for Christmas because there's a postal strike going on. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for taking part. And um, I would encourage you, if you've got a little bit of free time, a bit of time off over Christmas, to go over to our subreddit as Dave said earlier, explore the stories, enjoy a bit of retro news there and participate by leaving comments or submitting new stories for us to possibly talk about in future episodes. Our new question of the week, which will be pinned, is very simple. If Santa could bring you anything retro related this Christmas, what would it be and why? What do you want to find under your Aaron, trees it would be Aaron. this Christmas? That would be my Christmas present. <laughs> you got to pay postage, yeah. Dave. Aaron thank you so much for joining us just remind us where people can come and find you over Christmas for a bit of extra entertainment my house yeah thanks for (laughs) for having me fellas I had a good time Uh, you can catch us on YouTube uh, Amigos Retro Gaming Uh, we're also if you just search any of your usual uh, places that you download podcasts for Amigos Retro Gaming or ARG Presents or any of the flurry of shows that we do we'll come up you can't miss us brother go and find those guys make sure you subscribe to them that can be our christmas present to those guys the atari st show yeah the atari <laughs> st show oh yeah they do an atari we're ST looking show, for some good game suggestions quick <laughs> <laughs> that's the voice of well, a desperate you've, you've, man. you've asked from I, I will help i i, I promise Bo, i would help i will help you suggest good games Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you have a wonderful Christmas from all of us here, from Duncan, from Chris, from Dave, from Aaron. Have a magical Christmas. Take care, and we will see you. And and do enjoy the outtake shows that will be released over the Christmas period, and we'll see you early in January. That will escape during the Christmas period. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Cheers. This 
This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.